0: Night Protection Services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Surviving to Thriving podcast. Today we have with us Stephanie Narita. She's a single mother of five children and currently is residing in San Diego. After years of abuse, she finally filed a restraining order on her active duty military spouse after he had an apparent psychotic break. He violated the restraining order and attempted to poison her several times. He had affairs and stole property, and the military looked the other way. They actually placed more restrictions on her than they did to her spouse. They restricted her base access, and he was allowed to do whatever he wanted after two hours of work. She is currently fighting the legal system and hopefully will prosecute him soon. She's currently the owner of GFI Apparel which she took over after she left her husband. And the cool thing about that is they will hire victims of domestic violence and give them opportunities to work and to earn income so that they can leave abusive situations as well and start thriving in life. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me here. Of course. So I know that this is going to be a long episode, which is okay for us. We just like being able to hear different stories of survivors and how they got out of their situations and how they are now thriving in life. So I'm just gonna get right into it and ask you, how did you what was your childhood like? What were you what was it like growing up for you?
1: You know what, my mom did her best, but my childhood was very dysfunctional. My dad himself suffered from a lot of addictions, addictions to gambling, porn, all kinds of things and You know, she tried to make it work to the best of her ability, but she up and left him. And after that, it was don't show any emotions. I remember crying when my dad left because I was four and I didn't understand. And for my mom, it was like, if we're strong, we don't show emotions. Crying is for weak people, but we're strong. So we picked up and moved to Fairfield, which he still was part of my life, which I kind of wish at the time that she had cut him out of my life at that point. But he helped us move in, he would occasionally come to get me to a movie, but he would also use me to go in and steal her paycheck to go in and steal some money. Like it was never genuinely about me, it was what he could benefit from being around me. And there were times that he would gaslight me too. Like, for example, I remember being a little girl, and they got me a puppy for the first time. And you know, little girl gets excited. I want it. I want my dog. I want my dog. In order to get me to be quiet, he picked up his cigarette butt and burned it into my arm. And then he told everybody that I ran into him. And I remember crying and crying, crying. And I was like, No, he did it. And they're like, No, he says you ran into him You got to respect your elders, you got to respect what they say. And then on the opposite end of that, my mother who had all this trauma, constantly worried about me turning into my father, because I look the most like him, I have the most qualities that matches him. And so she would constantly berate me and then she would love me, berate me and then love me. So I got conditioned to feeling a certain way. Like my conditioning growing up was I was always wrong. I was unlovable and I was a burden to everybody because both my parents had said if they can do it again, I would not have been born because I was the accident child. There's 10 years and 11 years between me and my siblings. I'm nothing like them, they seem to be perfect in every aspect, I tend to slip up a little more, I have more medical problems. And it's something that, you know, they never let me live down. I was always kind of under a spotlight. If I was getting good grades. Fantastic. If I had a B, why wasn't it an A? If I had a C that was unheard of, like punishments would be locked in your room, you have to study a little bit more. And that can, that could also be cultural, but it was a lot of the time I had to internalize everything and something that I've had to deal with in therapy is my brother said something to me a while back. He's like, you know how our mom is. Why does it bug you so much? I'm like, because that attitude is what got me so hurt in the first place. It got me where I was because from the time I was little to the, till now sometimes, sometimes I hear I'm not good enough. Sometimes I hear, why do you think you're better than everybody? Why do you think this? Like I'd be successful at something and she'd be in a bad mood from working so much. She's like, well, you think you're better than everybody, you're a liar, you're this, you're that, like, I was always labeled as something, where as a child, you should be loved, and you should be told, I love you, and I need you. But she never dealt with what she went through with my dad. So instead, the cycle just continued, she passed it on to me. And I was searching for love in everywhere possible. So that's kind of how I ended up with my spouse, so to speak. He was my first love, he was the first person to really be like, "I love you so much," and he said it deliberately after one week of knowing me. He said, "I'm falling in love with you," and I love that feeling, and I would not let it go for anything.
0: Definitely, I mean, I that is one of the you know signs of that we that we teach uh, our women to look for is you know how soon is is this moving? How fast is this moving? Uh, you know, how long have you known this person and you know, compared to what stage of the relationship you're at. So I definitely understand that. And a lot of it stems from childhood abuse. It's, you know, it's, it's scientific and and it's been proven that that they have a huge correlation. What were your teenage years like? Did you have, you know, did you struggle in school? Did you struggle making friends or were those kind of maybe a little bit easier years just because you know, you could kind of escape the house and and be at school.
1: My teenage years, I loved the high school I was at, I had the best friends in the world, but I was also a cancer survivor growing up. And so I spent more time in a hospital than I spent with my friends. And because there was always that self doubt, I always wondered if my friends actually liked me because my mother would always be like, how do you know that, they like you and they're not just using you for something that you can do for them. Why would they like you? You're not good enough for that. You know, all the insecurities that had been laid on her, she had just fully laced onto me and it was almost predictable. I was part of the band. So my best friend, Jessica at the time, and she's still in my life because I love her to pieces. She literally would be like, it's not you, it's your family. Like they gang up on you the minute you get home. And they don't even realize they're doing it. Yes, they love you, but they don't realize they're doing it because it's been going on for generations. You're just the next piece of that generation. And I remember one time I got really sick at a band camp and I had locked my legs and I was ready to pass out. And I was like, I'm not passing out. And they're like, what's wrong? And they're like, she's, they're like, why are you crying? And they're like, she's really sick, but she doesn't want to go home because her mom's going to yell at her for getting so sick. And sure enough, I had locked my legs hard enough. I did ended up passing out. My mom's like, well, if your nutrition was better, if you had slept more, that wouldn't have happened. There was never, you have a genetic problem. It was always, you can fix this and it's your fault that this is happening. So, you know, I loved being at school. I was there early in the morning and I didn't leave till evening. And, you know, there was a little bit of drama there too, but it was usually with boyfriend girlfriend relationships, the typical high school stuff. And when I was getting ready to graduate, I remember my mom bought me a suitcase as a joke, but I was like, nah, I'm leaving the minute I get out of here. And so I went off to college and, you know, college was kind of rocky too. Again, you develop, I developed this path of hopping into bad relationships. And so I went off to college and I had a fantastic first year. I was so happy to be out of my house, but I felt bad because I always wanted this closeness with my mom that my friends had or my brother and sister. And I just didn't feel it. I was just felt uncomfortable when they were around.
0: Definitely. I, you know, I completely understand that. When did you meet your spouse? Was that in college? Or was that later on? Did you have a, a string of relationships before that?
1: I actually had a string of relationships before that. It I actually went from a really bad relationship where it was just very financially and emotionally abusive. The guy was always like, You're ugly. No one's going to ever love you. And he was spending money left and right. And then I met this amazing person, but I was not ready for him. So I shoved him to the side. And then he passed away, unfortunately. And I was like telling myself, That's just God's way of saying you are not ready to date, you're not ready to do anything. And then I met my spouse, like I met him at a class in Napa that I didn't even really need. The class was really just for the sake of having fun. And he right away, I want to say the red flags were there right away. I was like, I'm avoiding him because this looks like a bad relationship wouldn't happen, but he definitely won me over very quickly. What was
0: that beginning portion? Like, I, I think it's really important to talk about that part of it because Many young adults, teenagers, you know, early twenties are starting to get into these, these serious relationships and not really understanding the, the red flags that could possibly be there. So what were those like and how do you correlate that to the red flags that you see in them see now looking back?
1: So a hundred percent, it was love bombing right from the start. Like. We first met when he discovered my weakness, so to speak. The class got very personal and it said, you know, it was, you all share a secret and stand up if you, if you associate with that secret. My secrets were I had been raped, I had been molested, and I didn't find myself to be very pretty. And the first thing he said to me was, do you really think you're ugly? Because I think you're gorgeous. And that was like really very quick. And you definitely don't have a bad body. Like, you know, hint, hint. And so, so pretty soon after that, I saw him every day, like he, we were supposed to sit next to a new person every day, he sat next to me every single day. But I don't like you, he would say, I don't like you like that. You're not my same religion. We we're just good friends. And then he would try to invite me places and he'd add me onto to Facebook. It was instant. It was almost stalkerish like he would always be by my side, there, he would be late to class. And somehow he would manage to find a way to sit next to me. And then he would be very comfortable with touching me right off the back, like very comfortable with putting his hand on my shoulder, pretending to propose to me. And then when it finally came down to us hanging out, he had said he said we set up this group thing. But the group thing wasn't really true. I was like, well, I didn't invite people. Did you and he's like, No, I'm like, we can reschedule. He's like, No, let's just do it anyways. And so we went out, had a good time. It was very much, what do you want to do? Let's let's do what you like. Do you like shooting games? Do you like this? Anything I liked, he liked. I could sing, he could sing. If I could play the guitar, he could play the guitar better. It was very much a competition right off the back. But there were red flags. Like he took me to his mother's work in Napa once to play some table hockey, right, like the one re- with the pucks that go back and forth, and I had beat him. And he was like, go again. Like I remember he got mad. Like he was like, go again. We're doing this again. And I was like, I was like, okay, maybe he's just a little competitive. He deliberately had the pucks hit me in the arm in order for in order for him to get the win. At the time I was like, you're just overly zealous. And now looking back at that, I'm like, that's super big signs of abuse. And you know, when when we went after we went on that, he started saying, I love you. So we're talking about a week span here, he literally went from, from, I don't like you to I love you to I think I want to marry you, which is his repeat pattern. He's with that with his new relationship right now. I love you. I want to marry you. And then there were secrets, you know, there were things that I wasn't allowed to know, things that were coming out, he never wanted to, he was very lovey dovey with me in private. But when his friends came around, he didn't want his parents to know that he was dating me. He said that they were judgmental. They wouldn't understand why he was dating someone like me. And, you know, he got overly affectionate, affectionate because the guy has a huge sex addiction. So he got overly affectionate fast. So I had told him that, you know, I had different standards back then. You're young. and I was like, I'm not comfortable with moving this fast. And he goes, I'm sorry, we got carried away. If you hadn't dressed like that, I wouldn't have. So those are some key phrases to tune, tune into. In the course of the month, knowing him, he went from, I would never date you, you're a good friend, to trying to, to get me to screw him in the back of his car and tell me that he's a good Christian and he never does this type of thing. But it was like, every time, just kiss me one more time. Just kiss me here. Just kiss me there. What's wrong with kissing me a little bit lower? You like me, right? Like, I like you too. So it got very sexual very fast. And every time I tried to dump him and all of a sudden all these people would come out to his defense of why he was a great person. And as we were going on in the relationship, small little things I noticed too. He all of a sudden would start to throw insults in there like they were jokes. Like, I love you so much. Oh, you're so fat. Ha, 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 ha. I weighed the exact same amount he did, which was at the time we were in college, we were both 130 pounds at the time, I actually weighed less at the time, because I was sick. So I started losing weight because of my anemia. And, you know, he was like, you're so fat. And I'm like, that's really rude. And he goes, Oh, I was just joking. I didn't really mean it. Or he'd introduce me to his parents, my mother thinks you're ugly. And I'm like, Okay, and then, you know, it just these little slip ins there, like he was testing the boundaries of how far he could take it in order to kind of get me sucked in. And then he would, you know, as we started to date and progress. And this wasn't even a long amount of time, he would bring me around these girls that he would say that they were friends. And then he would sit there flirting with them, he would have his hands on their arms and their shoulders. He'd be walking in locking arms with them. I've had pictures of him at singles events with girls kissing him on the cheek. And he was claiming that I'm his girlfriend. And to me, it made me feel uncomfortable to him. He's like, I'm just being friendly. You're just being you're just being too much. You've just never been in a serious relationship before. You you don't know what it's like. So in the beginning, they hit all the stages of love, love bombing, triangulation, you know, gaslighting was there right off the bat. So I would warn anybody that if it's moving too fast, there's a reason. Because feelings, actual feelings and actual empathy take time to develop. They don't just happen overnight and they don't happen just based off looks and everything he liked about me was superficial you're hot you're beautiful you've got a good personality everybody loves you it wasn't i love you because you do because you're a good person everybody loves you so to emphasize the point i had something to offer him that he liked it wasn't it wasn't that he liked me i was beneficial to what he needed at the time definitely
0: what is something that you would want Like when you were in that situation, what would be something that you would want somebody to tell you so that maybe you could have prevented what happened in the next coming years?
1: That trust your instincts and believe that the red flags are there, that you're not going crazy. Because if somebody had told me right from the start, look, he's not acting like a normal person would, I probably would have avoided it or, if people weren't emphasizing the point, Oh, he's so great. He's so nice. I wouldn't have gotten myself into that situation because a lot of my opinions of him had to do with what other people were saying. I had my instinct and other people were saying, Oh, he's a great guy. Just give him a shot. He's nervous. He's that. So there was all these justifications in there for how he was acting. And I feel like had I known what sexual assault really was from the start, then I wouldn't have because my assumption was, I agreed to date him. So I guess that entitles him to do what he feels like, even though I might be uncomfortable with it. And I've already expressed it to him. It's Oh, maybe I am dressing a little too risky, risky. Maybe I am deciding that these clothes aren't fit. So for somebody, I didn't even know what the definition of marital rape was until like last year. So if that gives you any indicator, I had been well groomed, into thinking that it was my responsibility to take that pain. And for some reason, it was my responsibility to prevent him from raping me because of what I was wearing because of how I looked if I did if I dressed down, it wasn't going to happen to me because that it falls back to growing up. Well, you agreed to go out with him, you agreed to meet him here. So you must have been asking for it, which is kind of the vibe I got growing up from the people around me.
0: Yeah. The people that were coming to you saying, you know, he's a great guy, all of that, were those his friends and and the people that knew him previously? Or did you also have your friends telling you that they they saw him as a good guy?
1: No, it was strictly his friends and any mutual friends that we had. My friends were being wiped out of the picture. I didn't even realize it. Like, like my friends, they supported me, but they said there was something off about him right away. They literally said, I don't know what it is about him, Stephanie, but I want you to be careful, because there's something not right about the way he's acting. He's not presenting himself naturally. And so slowly it became he started weeding them out one by one, you don't hang around her anymore, because you have new standards, and you don't like to drink. And she's not the type of person you need to be around. Even though Jessica has been there for me, my entire life, I didn't realize he was starting to hang up her calls or delete her text messages. So I was never actually seeing them, you know, or I'm going to go hang out with Jessica today. No, you're going to come hang out with me. I was slowly, as the time went on, he slowly weeded pretty much all of them out and isolated me. So it was really strictly his. It was his church, his friends, his beliefs. Anytime there was a time I disagreed with him, he got his whole family involved. It wasn't, let's work this out between you and me, his mother, his father, his sisters, all of them saying, if you hadn't done this, I would never have done that to you. So it was, he's very smart, and it was all very calculated. I'm
0: really glad that you brought up the isolation part of it, because a lot of people don't understand how that happens. It's like, well, why don't you just stay in contact with your friends? And, you know, that's the easy solution, but nothing about domestic violence is easy, right? And so I'm really glad that you brought that up because a lot of people don't understand how you can become isolated and, 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 and stray away from your friends. But if you're believing that they're not calling you, they're not texting you, they're growing apart from you just as much as you're so, you know, growing apart from, from them or so you thought you, you were, that is, you know the easy you know like it's not easy but like that's the number one way that they that abusers will keep you isolated from friends family and and other people like that until you know until you don't have any resources to leave and that's their whole goal right
1: a hundred percent i just wanted to add in there he had actually after i i got pregnant after how many times he made me have sex with him he actually weeded out my friend completely by changing our wedding date. She was supposed to be my maid of honor and she was supposed to be there and he completely changed our wedding date. And he, and they emphasized it as it was because of the baby. It was because my daughter, Adriana at the time, really they were trying to hide what he did because they had made, they already got to me. They already made me believe that it was 100% my fault that we just got carried away and they had, they weren't successful in getting me to want to give away my daughter, because after he did that to me, it was, you can't handle this. How can you take care of a child on your own? You're 21. I was working a full-time job. I was making more money than he was. I could have taken care of her easily, but they made me feel like, well, you can't give her the life she deserves. Give her up. My mother-in-law had gone so far as to call our church's adoption line or whatever it was to tell them I wanted to adopt my baby out. So I had to tell these people, I'm not giving her up. I don't care what she told you. I'm not giving her up. And so they wanted to do this shotgun wedding all of a sudden. I was like, No, people made plans. We're doing this in November. And I remember the time that me and Jessica finally broke, where I was like, Oh, my God, I just lost my best friend was him talking me into that wedding. And she could not attend because of it. And he tried to turn it around and make it seem like well, if she was really your friend, she would have been there. I'm like, you gave everybody three days notice for us to get married. You told me the day of like three days beforehand that we were getting married this weekend and you guys had already invited 50 people there. So not only did I alienate Jessica, which I regret I alienated like half my family who had tickets from the Philippines willing to come down. And had I just said, Hey, I got pregnant. They wouldn't have cared. They would have been like, okay, you know, let's, you're getting married, let's do this kind of situation. If that's what you want to do. And I feel looking back at it that that wedding, in particular, moving it was a control thing. It was very deliberate. They took everything that I wanted, and they completely changed it and expected me to like it. And, you know, right from the start, that was probably one of the biggest red flags was the wedding and the fact that he, that was the moment he isolated me from everybody. Because after that, it became our family, our lives, we should start our lives together, except for the fact that he was still bringing me around his mother and his sisters, and expecting me to go around them. I wasn't allowed to go around my brother, my sister or anything, unless it was an event he wanted to go to. So the isolation didn't stop. And it got to the point where he'd be telling me, oh, so and so said this about you, and telling them something different. And I literally had nobody like, the isolation got so bad, I felt like I had to leave my hometown because he had punched me while I was pregnant because he told me all night he was leaving me for another woman. And then he tried to gaslight me into thinking that he never said that. And then he wanted me to turn away. He basically wanted me to give, to take the kids and to pay for them. And I said, if you're going to act, and I will say this is the meanest thing I said. I said, if you're going to act like a sperm donor, then so be it. And he literally looked at me to like, say that again. And I'm like, and I looked at him. I was like, I'm not going to say it again. He goes, say it again. And as soon as I said it, he punched me square in the face. And his family justified it. They said, you deserved it because you said this. You said that. My daughter spoke up against him. She literally told me, you know what? He's got a girlfriend. He's taken me there. He's not feeding me lunches. He's not doing this. She was looking for help. And within a matter of minutes, he had turned the entire town against us. And he literally was like, "Well, you can't say anything, or else I won't be able to go to the Navy, and Audrana can't get insurance, and Audrana's gonna die because she has, has epilepsy. We were spending thousands of dollars trying to keep her alive because her seizures were so bad." And so, you know, I had a bishop talk to me, "You can't say anything," and. The fact that you called cps on him is wrong and if he comes if cps asked me i'm gonna lie for him because no you're in the wrong i literally had you know he disappeared for a week and he was out at freaking walmart buying paint he was looking at porn he was doing everything except for being an actual dad and people were justifying it his sister launched a smear campaign on facebook saying Well, she kicked him out, and she did this, and she did that. I'm like, that is not what happened. And people had started thinking that it was domestic violence. And so his parents flat out started telling people, no, it's Stephanie. She didn't do this. She didn't do that. So by the time he actually went to boot camp, I had been so isolated by my entire family. Like they had, till this day, I don't talk to my brother and sister because they side with my ex they're completely on his side. My mother has come around since realizing the police don't just file ROs because you feel like it. But till this day, I will not speak to my brother and sister because they have fallen for his lies and his smear campaign. But back then, we left and we picked up and went to a completely brand new city to follow him because we felt like we didn't have anywhere else to go. My friend, I will never forget when we left for Chicago. My friend was like, Adriana doesn't want to go. And I'm like, what? And she goes, listen to her. She doesn't want to go. And I remember Adriana coming up to me. She was crying. And she was like, we could be happy. Just you, me, you, me, Ivy, and the new baby. Just don't make us go. Please don't make us go. And I'm like, well, daddy promised it's going to be different. And he says he's all better. And if he's in the Navy now, it's going to be so much better. And I remember she, we got on the plane. And I was nervous. I was shaking. And she had tears streaming down her face. She's like, I want to stay with my Nana. I don't want to go. And we get there. And, you know, Dad was great for a little bit. While my mom was there, he was great. And then he had promised us we would have housing. He promised us that we had all these things so to stay out there. And it turns out I didn't have any of those things. He didn't know how it worked. He didn't even tell his command that I was out there. So they had no idea that he had his eight-month pregnant wife In a hotel with two little children. And when I confronted him about it, he said, Well, I never wanted you out here in the first place. I saw you again and I just didn't feel the same because you're not beautiful. You're huge and you're ugly. And I remember I remember what caused me to stay. I I had picked up my stuff, I had my rental car. I had already spent like three thousand dollars just to come up and be with him. And I had driven the girls over to the Ombudsman, and I was like, so is there if do we have a home? Or is there any way you can help us get home? Because we need I'm about to have a baby and I can't have this baby in the hotel. And he does he's saying he doesn't want to be with me. And I went into premature labor in the ombudsman's office, like I had been shaking and rocking. And Sophia, my daughter, she was nearly 10 pounds at birth. And so she was knocking on my stomach. And so they drove me to the hospital. And that's when they were like, you're not going anywhere. Like you're staying here in Great Lakes. And I remember crying, thinking, I'm like, how am I supposed to stay here with somebody who doesn't love me? I don't have anybody here. And, you know, they said, we're going to call your church. We're going to set it up for you. They set it up and they're like, we're going to make him set up housing for you. It's an emergency. He did, you know, I don't care what he says. You're going to get housing. And I was like starting to feel a little bit more relieved and a little bit more calm. My mom had already been yelling at me as to why I came out in the first place. And I started to feel better and he was like, I didn't mean to say that to you. As soon as he found out we were actually getting a house, I didn't mean to say that to you. I still care about you. But then, you know, three days later when he found out that I had to be on bed rest, meaning I could not leave the bed, same attitude. You know, he, he's like, I need to research stuff for our house. I need to get us a car. I need to do all kinds of things. I have to do X, Y, Z. So he had gone to the internet lounge for like two hours. And finally, my kids were crying so hard and my stomach was hurting. I marched in to go get him to find out that he was looking. He was soliciting for sex on Facebook. He wasn't even looking for that. He had been soliciting for sex on Facebook. He'd been soliciting for sex from sailors. He'd been soliciting from sex from anybody. He was on a bunch of horny websites. He was on Ashley Madison. And I had confronted him. He's like, well, I have a problem. And you know, I just wanted to take the opportunity. I'm stressed out because of your pregnancy. So I needed to take the opportunity to do something for myself, but it's just, I'm not coping with this well. And again, I said, I never wanted you to come out here in the first place. So I don't know why you expect me to take care of you. And so after that church, people started to come take care of me round the clock. They were taking care of me. I was ignoring Sam. I finally met this girl and her name's Melissa. I love their family. And we connected instantly. I was like, look, my kids have been inside for almost a month. They're going crazy. I promise if you stick me in a wheelchair, we'll be good. And so we went to Target and I felt so bad. First of all, we could not find my daughter Ivy's shoes. So we're like, we'll just buy her some shoes. We're going to get some toys and some shoes. And they, my kids had been so cooped up. They're like, we're going to run around this entire Target. And I couldn't get up. So this poor woman I just met is chasing my kids down every aisle. And she's being really great about it. And she's being so friendly. And it just made me feel so much better. Because I had not that was the first friend I met in San Diego. And I was like, I was like, at the end of that trip, I was like, she's never coming back. I swear. And the next day, she's like, Can I come see you again? Can I come again? And so as I got closer to my church family, and things started getting better, I noticed Sam was more open. And then we Moved into the house and he was excited. It was our first house. We'd been living in apartments long before that. So it was our first house. The girls had a backyard and he's like, I'm sorry. I was just stressed out. I didn't mean to. But again, repeat patterns, not even two weeks later, isolating me, making my responsibility solely the kids. You know, we would go meet him for lunch. And then after a while, he didn't want us meeting him for lunch because he had found out that he's got two or three. Cute co-workers. And I literally remember him holding hands with one coworker and I came in and I'm like, what is that about? And they both gaslighted me and to be like, No, you didn't see anything. You're completely wrong. And my daughter was like, I saw that. And they're like, No, you're wrong. How dare you? We're just friends and we're I'm just saying hello. You're too much. She is actively on his Instagram now. People have shown me like they're, you know, they could be doing a bunch of stuff together, but again. get into the isolation and the repeat patterns it went in a cycle they call it the circle of violence and that's how my time at chicago went to the point where and i'll get to this after your next question where they were actually telling me in chicago to file a restraining order on him there
0: yeah so i know we've jumped around a little bit from chicago to san diego and and all of that but just to kind of recap he got into the military Into the Navy, and then you guys moved to Chicago. And then, how long were you guys in Chicago before you moved to San Diego?
1: We were only there a year because he was only supposed to be there for training. And had I known that, I would have stayed in Fairfield with my family. But he had written me about, I want to say, eight to 10 letters of how excited he was for us to come back and for us to get a fresh start and that he was not going to speak to his family and that he didn't want me to speak to his mother or his parents or, or his siblings because they were the problem. And that's something I didn't key in on was he started isolating me from his family members as well.
0: I know that a huge part of your story is how the military has treated you versus him. Did that start in Chicago or was that later on? It sounded like while you were pregnant, it, they were very helpful in helping you find housing and getting you to the doctors on base and things like that. So did
1: you find that they were helpful in the beginning? Military installations are completely different wherever you go. Back then, I, I was too afraid to say anything about the abuse that was going on. I was told that if I said anything, my daughter would lose insurance and she would die. Having almost witnessed my daughter die from a seizure before, I was too afraid to say anything. So the incident that happened in Chicago was, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of little things that led up to this. I had dropped him off to work and he was kind of openly berating me. And he said something along the lines of, I never wanted you to come out here. I don't know why you're here. You're an ugly person inside and out. And I don't want to be with you. So I had had dropped him off right in front of the fleet and family center. And he got out of the car and he's like, honestly, I don't even think, don't, I don't, what was his word? I don't even think you can compare to some of the people I've met out here. And I remember that was the one that set me off and I just burst into tears. Like, I'm trying so hard. I'm waking your kids up at four o'clock in the morning so we can drop you off to work. I'm trying, like, what could I be doing better? And I burst into tears. And all of a sudden, this group of women swarmed in my car and was like, we saw the whole thing happen. You're being abused come inside we need to talk to you now. So as soon as I got in the advocate came up to me they pulled us into a private room. I didn't even key in on it. My daughter had crawled into one of their laps and said thank you and she was crying and she was like, thank you so much And I didn't know what she meant by that. I thought she was just excited to play with toys you know and I didn't realize till years later she was saying thank you've been, I've been wanting somebody to help us. And, you know, they talked to me and they're like, has he ever, they, they pulled me into a separate room. They kept the kids entertained and they said, has he ever been physically abusive to you? And I'm like, I froze. I was like, I don't know what to say right now. And she looked at me and she goes, I was in an abusive relationship for six years. This is why I'm an advocate now. I've seen all the telltale signs based on his body language, based on the way he approached you, the way he spoke to you. I'm going to take a guess. He's put his hands physically on you. And I looked at her and I was like, yes. And he goes more than once. I'm like, yes. And at that time, she's like, how many times has it been? I was like, I'm like, there was this time he punched me in the face. He punched me shortly after my first son died. He slapped me after my first son died and he told me and the neighbors that it was because I was hysterical and that's what his justification was for. And she was like, okay, we need to get you help. They launched an investigation he was not allowed to come home for a few days. And then she said, here's the big one. We're getting a restraining order. And she's not going to see your kids for the next three years. Do not say anything. We're going to do this. And I'm like, freaking out. I was like, I don't have anybody here. I don't, I don't want to be stuck in Chicago. And she goes, well, we'll move you to a woman's shelter. I was like, I can't move my severely epileptic daughter to a woman's shelter without insurance. We won't she won't survive there. She has so many needs. I can't Like, we almost starved keeping her alive before the military. I I can't do it. And, you know, and I've got an autistic daughter, and I've got this, and she had emphasized the point. She's like, the the reason why your other daughter is likely autistic is because you're in an abusive relationship. And she had let me know that her abusive relationship beforehand resulted, her first child was Down syndrome and had autism and all kinds of issues because she had been abused all throughout the pregnancy. And then the sec- she moved on to a healthy relationship and that child's perfectly fine. And she emphasized the point later on that, you know, you might likely end up with more autistic children, which did in fact happen if this continued. And I remember Sam didn't say anything. He was very calm about the whole situation. But I remember saying, I'm like, there's something I want to say. I don't know how to bring it up. And he, he said something along the lines of, you need to tell me the truth if we're ever going to work out. And that got to me. He's like, you have to do your part to make this work out. And so I told him what was going on. He's like, well, we can't have that happen. Tell them you don't want to speak to the command. And so I did. I literally said, I'm I'm not going to speak. I I don't want you to push this further to the command. And he says he'll go into counseling and he's going to change. And she goes, that's understandable. If you believe that, you can give him the opportunity to. But I'm still going to keep in contact with you. And we're not closing this case out. Sam got orders for... Diego shortly after that and he's like San Diego's it baby and i remember that he told me he's like San Diego's it baby this is where i finally get the future faking i finally make good on every promise i ever made you i will treat you right you're going to be my princess you're going to be my queen san diego is going to be our home and i was like okay i'm going to give him one more chance because at least if if he does it again in san diego i'm at least in a place where I can get home to family or friends. And that's why I left for San Diego. So again, to answer your question, day and night. So we have that end at Great Lakes where they were like on top of it. They were ready to move me into a shelter based on only comments he had made. And then we get to San Diego and this started early on. I When he was on a ship, I don't think I'm allowed to say the ship, but when he was on that ship, he had been neglectful and abusive Abusive towards our family. Like, my daughter had a life threatening disease and we had to monitor her. So, he was given permission to get off the ship to take her to the hospital if need be, because this is a two person job. This is not a one person deal. And she was throwing up so bad, she was choking on it. And I was on the phone with the nurse. I was like, Look, we're at her therapy session right now. She's choking. And I, I'm trying to wait till she calms down so I could get her to a hospital. And she's like, Do you think she needs an ambulance? I'm like, not exactly she's throwing up a whole lot and she's she's like well how far are you away let's let's figure this out she's like you know we were 10 minutes away from the hospital the nearest ambulance was about 20 she's like get in your car right now call your husband see if he can meet you there or i'll call you back let's see if it gets better he she had ran through a few steps so i called him and she called back so i instantly switched the phone that was a no no for him he literally literally was like well what the hell is your problem I'm trying to help you and you have a fucking attitude. And I'm like, no, I was on the phone and he'd cut me off. He's like, then fucking deal with it yourself. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Your daughter's sick. So I loaded all the girls up. And at the time, my eldest was still having seizures. And I was like, okay, Hannah, like, we'll get this last bit out of you. And we're just going to hightail it where I'm going to haul ass out of here. And so I, I get her in the car and I'm freaking out. I'm trying to stay calm. I'm like running through lights, like, no, I need to get here. They're telling me the ambulance is not going to beat me to the hospital. I need to go. And so she's barfing still and he calls me and he's like, well, you have a fucked up attitude and you always have had it. And he only does it in private settings. And I finally, we get to the hospital. I'm like, you aren't here. Like you aren't, like you didn't rush to meet me here. And he's like, why the hell would I? You should have told me you were speaking to a nurse. And I was like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm telling your command. And within five minutes, he was there, meaning he took the time off to go spend it with somebody else. Okay. So as soon as I get there, like his commands like no, he said he was with you the whole time. You did this and you did that. And you know, things escalated that entire year. And it ended up being that I got to the point where like, I couldn't take it anymore. He had been neglectful to us. The command didn't believe us. The command always took his side on things. I, you know, I made mistakes too. I ended up, you know, making a ton of mistakes along the way, nothing along the lines of hitting or neglecting or abusing the children. And his command just kept siding with him over and over. And while I was pregnant with Henry, I finally go, you know what I need to, I need to leave. Like this is not getting better. I need to leave. And you know, I was like telling him I'm gonna go home. I've had to hide the fact that when my daughter Hannah was born, I had to hide my clinical depression because you called me weak. I told him because I almost died with Hannah. And I I got on off because I was clinically depressed. Like I did not want to wake up in the morning because of it, because I felt like I felt like nothing. And he was like, What kind of a weak ass mother are you that you need medication to get by? He had been on deployment at the time. I was like, I'm all alone. You don't understand how hard this is. I literally almost died with my daughter. I had to have surgery three days before you left for deployment. You didn't even tell them that I was sick and that you should stay back to help me recover for a bit. You didn't tell him I had nobody. He left me with nobody. He didn't ask anybody to help me. He 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 knew that if he mentioned something, he would have been withheld back from deployment. But he wanted to go, and so I hopped on off and you know he called me weak, so I took. I got off it and started exercising. And halfway through deployment, he hit me with that Dear John letter. I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be with you. I don't even know where I'm going to start dating. Command says nothing. You know, we're still getting his paycheck. I'm like, whatever. I'll deal with it when he gets back. I built up the girls. They were happy. They were speaking. They were thriving. He gets back and it's like instant hell all over again. Like I didn't even want to see him. But when he saw me, I had become blonde all of a sudden, which he likes Caucasian women. He does not like I am not the right ethnicity for him. I became blonde all of a sudden, I lost all the baby weight, like I was thin, like I was really fit. And he won't keep his hands off me like he's groping me in public, he's grabbing my privates in public acting like he didn't dump me all of deployment. And I was like, I'm really uncomfortable. And then I was like, Well, maybe something changed. Maybe he's trying to be nice. And so the girls see him, my eldest just looked at him. She doesn't even care that he's back. Like she just looks at him. And you know, they all see him and then my baby's crying. And so for a while it's good again, then the problems start up the, the the abuse the hitting. So flash forward to Henry, you know, I told him I'm going home, you're not helping me. I've got all these issues. I didn't know he had saved and screenshotted all my postpartum text messages. Okay. he Every time I said, I don't want to live. He said, you're looking for fucking attention. You are an attention whore. You're fucking looking for whatever you can get to, you know? And so this night I was like, you wouldn't even care if I stabbed myself right now. And I had said that in response to the fact that he, he called me and was like, you don't really deserve to live you're a shitty ass mother, you can't get anything right, you can't do anything. And that's the story that his command and nobody listens to is the fact that he'd been egging me on all week, he said he was going to kill himself to get away from me. He said that he was going to shoot himself that I didn't understand that I was a horrible person that I had put all this pressure on him. And that my children hated me. He literally said that my kids hated me. So I literally literally said I'm like, that's what you want. Like we had an argument verbally over the phone. And I made the mistake of testing him. I'm like, you wouldn't care if I took a knife and stabbed myself right now, would you? And I tried to call him back to be like, wow, that was too far. You had already pissed me off. That was just a lot of abuse that I was internalizing. And I just reacted to it. And I don't know why I did that. I'm so sorry. He already called six cops on me because I had told him. And the reason why he came home confrontational is I, I let his command know about that, that entire past year and then I let him them know I had already gotten approval from my brother to go home with my kids and have this baby so I would be leaving and that I was getting help. And so he did not like getting in trouble. He does not like looking bad. So he told them a completely different story, saved all these messages I had sent to him in the past that he told me I was weak for. And on top of the one that he got from me because I was angry and was like, she needs to go to the psych ward. Police show up. No, there's nothing wrong with her. She's mad, but she doesn't need to go. I don't, like, I literally had a police officer pin me to my wall and call me a, a fucking bad mom because because of Sam. It was a woman. She said, if you fucking hurt these kids, look at yourself. Look at the shit you're pulling around these kids. So she was already beating me down and the officer that who had came out three more times after the fact was like, No, she's not the problem. He was an older gentleman. He had already seen stuff like this, right off the back. He's like, I don't want you getting in that car with him because this is going to turn into a domestic violence situation. I was like, well, he says he only wants me to check the baby. And I was really worried about the baby because I couldn't hear a heartbeat. So I was like, Okay, I'm going to go with him. We loaded the car up with the kids, my friend was going to come meet us up with the kids. He said, He looked at him. He said, Don't say one word to her. The entire ride. As soon as we get around the corner, he goes, Do you know how bad of a mom you are? You can't do anything right? You can't load dishes, right? You can't do this. And I'm like, he said not to talk to me. Are you trying to piss me off? And as he's doing that, as we're driving in the car, I'm starting to freak out because he's texting like this. And I'm like, Do you want me to drive? And he's like, No, I'm like, get off your phone. We've got kids in this car. What are you doing? He's like, I have to tell everybody what you've done. He texts his his mom. He texts his brother, my brother, my sister, my, any person that's in our circle of life. I was like, get off the car. Like I was shaking at this point thinking that we were going to crash. We get up there and he's like, just, you're just trying to ruin my career. And I'm a second class and I'm the most important sailor here. And you just don't understand what you're doing. And I'm going to make you see what you're doing. And so I was like, You have to get off the phone and we have to talk about this. This is not safe. So he pulls over. I'm like, Give me the phone. And he's like, I'm not stopping until every person knows what you've done to me. And I said, So I grabbed the phone. I was like, And he grabbed it back. And I was like, Fine, I can deactivate your phone from my phone because I was the main person on that line. And he's like, The hell you will. You You fucking bitch. And so he, we ended up getting into a fight. Our kids are asleep in the back of the car and I can, I hear that they're asleep. So I'm like, you gotta stop. And so I'm trying to brace myself like this. I'm trying to hang on to my phone. So finally he yanks me from the hair and punches me in the face and the phone drops. And I thought, and, and I just get out of the car. I instantly get out of the car. I'm not thinking other anything, but I'm gonna scream the minute I get out of this car. And he's like, where the hell are you going? And I screamed as loud as I could till the MPs came. And they pulled us aside and he's like, she's suicidal. She's this, she's that, she's that. And I'm like, he just punched me. And the MPs believe me, they're like, we wanna arrest your husband. And then one of the MPs along the way decided after talking to us, they weren't gonna arrest him. And I'm like, what the hell? They're like, they're just gonna send him back to the barracks, like he just needs to cool off. You're being too much. So they decide they're not gonna arrest him. I was like, "Well, fine. If you think there's no problem, he can take me to the hospital and get checked out. Why the hell should he go to the barracks and me be left with everybody else if I'm being the problem?" And so he went with me. I didn't know he was doing that so he could get to another doctor to be like, "This is what she's been doing. She's been doing this. She needs to be locked up." And so he did get me locked up and he's like, "You have a problem and you don't see it." And every time I brought up an issue he had, it was, "You have the problem." And so I finally find and as finally they decided to keep me, as they decided to keep me, they like he left and he said in front of multiple staff, I lied to keep you here. I lied to keep you in San Diego so you couldn't take my fucking kids away from me. And he ran off with my card and my car. Okay, so he's got my money in my car. And, you know, I'm sitting here like you heard him. And he's like, well, that's not our jurisdiction. We're not legal. We're here to support the sailor. That entire time, we're here to support the sailor. I kept saying, I need to talk to a lawyer. I need to talk to this person. I need to talk to that person. I need help right now because he's going to try and take my kids from me. And they're like, no, you have to stay here. They treated me like I was a 50. I got classified as a 5150. And that whole experience, and he kept calling family members. She's not, she's not going anywhere. She's not doing this. She's not doing that. And, you know, I finally get to the one social worker who believed me and she goes, you're staying though. And I'm like, so why am I staying? And he goes, because you don't realize you're a victim of abuse. Because everything that came out of my mouth at the time was, if he hadn't, if I hadn't done this, he wouldn't have done that. So the woman keyed in very clearly, she goes, you need to stay here and understand the abuse cycle, and we're going to get you out of it. You know, so the psych ward at the time was going to help. But again, it depends which staff you're talking to, and who you're talking to. So I stayed. And that entire time, I kept calling him, can I please talk to my kids? No, they don't want to talk to you. I want a divorce. I hate you. You're doing this to our family, you know? And so two days passed. They're like, there's no reason for us to legally keep you here. We know that you, you know, they were going to let me go after one day. But like, we know you've got all the resources you need to get your family out of this situation. So I came out of the psych ward completely different. I came out with the mindset, it's time for me to leave. He instantly tried to hoover me back in. He instantly was like, you know, I came out and he could tell something was wrong with me. I took a shower and I, personality is different completely. He said, there's something wrong with you. What did they do to you in there? They, did they brainwash you or something? They like, are they turning you against me in there? Like, that's what he was saying the whole time. I was like, no, I just don't think this is working. And we should start focusing on co-parenting. And so the first thing he instantly turns to the sex. So he's like, wait a minute. So he grabs me by and flips me around and starts kissing me. And I'm like, I don't feel anything. And so he started skipping me more. I was like, I I just, I think this is a bad idea. I got this mindset. And then he's like, we're going up to the bedroom. And then he was like, let's have sex. Let's do this. And so I started getting Hoovered back in. Problems didn't stop there. I found out he had been driving my daughter to a field trip, texting again. And she got scared. You know, he kept saying things were different. He fixed it. And she got really scared, you know, things escalated. Oh, sorry, I had to backtrack. There's one more big thing that happened right before that. And then explains the whole military experience. Right before, so while his mother was there, and she was trying to help, but she enabled him a lot. They pretty much sent my brother away, because my brother, at that point was fighting with him. And he's like, Are you coming home with us? I was like, Why would I go home with you? You don't believe me. You want me to give up custody of my kids. I'm not going. I would rather stay here and be by myself. And his mom was there. And she's like, well, I'll facilitate conversations with you. And I'm like, and I told him, I'm like, you're escalating. And you need to get help because you're going to end up losing your job. And then where will our daughter be at? And he's like, well, it's your fault. You did this. You blah, 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 blah. X, Y, and Z. You did this. You did that. You did that. And I was like, "Man, there's just, there's deep underlying problems here that we need to get through. We need to go to counseling when you do this. Like, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. He blew up on my face. There was an incident while my brother and his mom were there that he threw a table across the room. He was going to throw it at me while I was pregnant. And I said, he had come in because his command was on, his command was mad at him because of everything going on, because they obviously didn't know the whole story. He came in and he threw a tantrum like a child on the floor. And his mom was like, that's normal. I'm like, he's a 32 year old man and he's screaming on the floor like a baby. And so he ran away. He ran he's like i don't need to tell you anything and he ran into the garage and i was like i'll leave him alone i started hearing screaming and throwing things to the point i was like no i went in i was like you have to be quiet we have children here and he was like he's like Fucking make me be quiet and i was like lower your voice and she she's like why the hell are you bothering him because she always enabled him I was always the problem. She always did this kind of stuff. And so she, so basically I went in there and he picked up a table and this milk jug, like he was going to hit me with it. Like he came this close to my face with it. And I said, I swear to God, if you do that, the next place you're going to end up is in jail. And he threw it across the room and ran out of there. So I called G-Force because I was like, I'm not going to call police. I'm going to call G-Force because maybe they can do something about it. All they did was talk to him, talk him down, saying he needed outlets. He needed to do this. Keep your family together. Your family's beautiful. You know, again, more excuses for the sailor to continue the behavior they're doing. His mother leaves. He tries to hightail her ass out of there. Like, as soon as my family's gone, he wants her gone. And he made her get an earlier flight home. And even though she was bashing me, she literally said, he's trying to isolate you. Because I could stay and I could help you. I came. For the long haul prepared to stay and help you he's trying to isolate you so this woman who doesn't even like me said her son's trying to isolate me and so she leaves more you don't know how to load a fucking dishwasher right that was his big go-to you don't know how to the dishwasher had been broken for a year and a half he kept saying you don't know how to load it right for a year and a half it was broken and so he was berating me and he's like you need to learn how to take criticism this is normal ways for husbands to talk to their wives. You just don't understand how criticism works. And I was like praying, praying, praying. I was like, something happened. And I had remember mentioning that he had forged his DMV tags to his command. They didn't obviously confront him about it because he got arrested by MPs who then turned around and they let him go. They didn't just arrest him and take him to Navy jail or wherever they're supposed to go. They let him go because he said he didn't understand that forging your DMV tags and not paying your registration was a crime. He literally said that to them. And so he went to cap, they turned him over to his command. He went to captain's mass and he was like, I'm not getting demoted. They need me too much. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I might get docked and paid up about it. He got demoted, put on restriction for a month. And I, I prayed to God. I was like, that is the miracle I was looking for. So he was gone an entire month and more problems happened. There was a fat case out on him for the the two incidences of punching and the fact that he had raped me multiple times. I Multiple times I told him no and he'd raped me. And so, you know, again, there's this case out on him. He's calling me all the time. I'm throwing up at the time. I didn't know I didn't actually have medical problems that there were being pills being put into my drink. All I knew was I was really sick. He wanted me to visit him on Sundays with his kids. And he he said, you're taking away my only joy from me. You're doing this purposely. And if you don't show up, I'm going to kick you out of that fucking house. And like all this stuff. On my daughter's birthday, he was still on restriction. He told her he was going to call her in the morning. He didn't all morning. But he texted me. He said, bitch, if you fucking speak up against me again, I will kick you out of that fucking house. During her party, he calls us and he goes, Stephanie, first of all, I don't know how that happened. I never sent you that text message. I never sent you that text message. We've been going through it all across the board. Somebody must have cloned my phone. Somebody was against me. Somebody's trying to make me look bad. I would have said it was you, but you're all the way over there. So I don't think it's you at all this time. Because that was his usual go to was I was the one making him look bad. And I was like, okay. So he gets off restriction. I'm a changed man. I'm brand new. I am, it's, it's fine. I love you guys. I find him on a bunch of dating sites again, not even a week after taking off restriction. And, and I come to find, you know, I let him go to my daughter's field trip because I was like, he's always a good dad. He's never done anything intentionally to hurt them that I knew of at the time. And so I let him go on this field trip. And then I come to find for my daughter, she was scared because he was doing this the entire way there. And she showed up an hour late to her field trip because he had been on that. I took his phone from him, found out he's on dating sites. These dating sites specifically said he was divorced and the kids were in my custody. I didn't key in on that fact for a while. He, you know, he was a widower that his wife had died. I didn't key in on those deliberate statements for a long time. And, you know, she was, I confronted him, we went for a drive to Target, long story short, I said, I hate you. And I can't believe you're doing this. I have to tell your command. This is not okay. But we went to Target to talk about he disappears while I'm pregnant, I call my friend up this whole spectacle, where he said he took a bunch of pills. And, you know, he wrote on the wall in his penis blood. My family doesn't want me around. And, you know, he told people that I told him to kill himself. We, I get to a civilian hospital. They actually took him to a civilian hospital. And that was the smartest thing they ever did. He's shaking and convulsing. And I'm like, what's wrong with him? They're like, we don't know. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's not like, he's doing that on his own. And my neighbor, keyed do in on me, his commanding officer comes to, to see how he is. And to confront me about the way I had been treating him. And, you know, We're all there, and my neighbor's like, Do you see what he's doing? And I'm like, What? Every time you talk about something he doesn't like, he starts to convulse. But when you compliment him, he's stopping, you know? And he says he can't. And we had tried to clean his hands for him because we were looking for this cut. We didn't know where this cut was, where he had tried to cut himself. He picked a scab on his penis that's always been there and it bled out. And so I was cleaning him up, and he grabbed my hand firmly and was like, cleaning it better and my neighbors like this is not right here go go talk to his commanding officer I'm going to keep watching him she said the minute I left he started talking he had a voice and so while we were there I talked to his officers like and I told him everything that's going on on the financial abuse the physical abuse everything he goes well I wish there was something I could do but that's really not my problem that was the response of his commanding officer that's really not my problem my job is to make sure he's okay let's get him through his mental state first and then we'll see if there's something we can do for you guys, you know, and at the time he got charged out with rape, but they did not charge him with the punch that he punched me at. His commanding officer said he was on restriction, which is funny that he said he was restriction considering they released him to go with me to the hospital. There's records of him at the hospital. So he was not charged out with that secondary punch, even though, He admitted it to the officers he admitted it to our bishop in writing he admitted it to several people that he punched me including the people he stayed at with the psych ward the psych ward was crazy it was intense he went to aurora for a month because they said he faked that suicide they said he was narcissistic they said that it'd be better for my family if there was an mpo put out and that he wasn't around his command was fighting for him to get out of there basically And so at the psych ward, I was like, well, maybe she's got really, my mindset is he's got really big problems. So, you know, I'm going to help him out. So I get him his clothes. He instantly stops talking to me. I come to find out it's because he met a girl there, the girl that he's currently chasing now and possibly with and likely killed me over. And he told her the exact words were, I'm a happily married man. But if you wanted to fuck me, you know, I'd let you. And he told that same sentiment to five different girls. Okay. He's ignoring us, not talking to us. He's about to come out. And I told the command, I don't want him here because he's not told me anything. And so we met up at a public location. I said, you know, this does not tell me anything about your stay at the psych ward. It doesn't tell me what's wrong with you. I don't see a treatment plan here. And so, you know, he does that. And so the command's like, well, yeah, he can stay on the ship for a while. You know, within the first day, you know, you would think that they keep an eye on a sailor more. He left the ship like after midnight and was like, I'm hearing voices. This is a dark place to be. This is not where I want to be. I want to be with my family. I said, okay. My mom convinced me to let him come home. I was about to have my son and he's like, let him come home. I was like, okay, you can sleep on the couch, but I'm not comfortable with this situation. And I've told your command that command's not doing anything. He's getting ready to switch on to limb do. And so as he comes home, you know, I see his phone and he's taken... Several sailors' addresses that he met there and he's Googled them. He's looked at several sailors' addresses. He's masturbated to several of their pictures, you know, all this crazy stuff. And I'm trying to warn the command of this. And like, it's not our problem. It's not unnormal. It's not crazy. It's not this. It's not that. And so I'm like, okay. And so I have my son and we let him be there, but all my neighbors are there. Our house is never full at this point in time. I told my neighbors, I said, Purposely keep the house full. I don't want to be alone with him, and you know, because the command keeps saying he's better, he's feeling better, he's a great guy, he's this, he's that, and so, what was it? The on July fourth, when my son was set to, you know, he was like a couple of days old. We went over to Vaughn's to get stuff because people were coming over to come see the baby, and he was like, I'm depressed. I'm like, okay, let's talk about it, and he goes, I can't talk to you. You're too judgmental. I'm like, okay. So let's find you someone else to talk to Why the fuck don't you want to talk to me? I'm like, I can, I offered you. And I didn't know what was going on at the time. He won't, I'm like, come on, just get in my car. Let's go to Vaughn's. It'll be fine. As we're driving to Vaughn's, he's like, you're just so judgmental. I had more people at Aurora, again, things I didn't key on to at the time that cared about me than you do. And so, you know, we're driving, we're driving. He's like, you're a fucking bitch. And he tries to grab the wheel of my car. And I instantly like move his hand and he's like I gotta get the fuck out of here and he barrel rolls out of my car like my car is going like 50 miles per hour and he barrel rolls out of my car and I'm thinking like oh my god like I don't know what to do I remember getting to Vaughn's and trying to get a hold of him I called Aurora like you need to take him back like he's trying to kill himself and they're like you need to call the police and I remember thinking to myself like this is gonna get really ugly really fast. And I don't know, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I, I remember sitting at Vaughn's, I get out of the car, and there was these two police officers there. And I started shaking, I was like, I just had my son, I'm not sure, should I approach them for help? What do I do? And I remember shaking, and something happened, and they ran out. And so I, I got all the stuff that I needed. You know, I'm still not on my heart medications at the time. And I, I I was breathing and I'm like, what do I do? And I keep texting and he's like, not answering. I'm like, you have to answer. And I'm like, I'm like, just come home. You have to answer. And he's like, I'm talking to somebody right now. I'm talking to Steve. Found out he wasn't talking to his friend, Steve. He had called a girl named Alexandria. So here's where the coincidences lies. Another sailor he's calling that he said, you know, which I confirmed with phone records and, you know, He comes back into the house. I'm fine. I swear. I never. I'm like, we need to go to Valboa and check you. And he goes, you would really do that to me. You would put me there. You would put me in a place like that. Like you've been there. You know what it's like. You, you want me gone? Is this what you want? And, you know, and, and, you know, like I let it go and I quietly tell command again and all this stuff. Not our problem. We're going on deployment. You know, you're on your own kind of situation. He switches to wind I'm starting to see changes. Wow. He's doing better. Less stress. You know, nothing. A couple months go by. No, there's more stuff. Found out he has a Snapchat that he hid from me. I found out a bunch of stuff. I found out he's on POF, all kinds of stuff. Oh, I just do it for the high of things, you know? And then here's where I'm going to compliment somebody in this whole chain. I, he, Sam, like he had raped me, abused me, and wasn't trying to work things out he was just getting out of control so he said he wanted help so that's why I didn't say anything and I reached out to his boss finally his chain of command so to speak where he was supposed to be working at for Limdo. And I said look something's going on and he goes I haven't even seen that guy since October And I'm like what he told me he's still been wor- working there and he goes no let me call you right now and he let me know he goes I haven't seen him since October and I told Sam at the time, I was like, I already told your boss what's going on. He freaked out, calls the boss, and says, I'm sorry I haven't been into work, but X, Y, and Z happened. And my wife is mad at me, so she might tell you a different story. And so the boss is talking to me. He's like, Something's not adding up here. What's what's going on? He said you had medical problems and he was taking care of you. I'm like, no, he said he was working and he didn't have time to help me with my medical problems. I had noticed in that time he had offered to take the kids to appointments more, but after their appointment, he'd be lingering like two or three hours after the appointment and then he would return to work. So all these little signs that he's not actually working were there. So I confront him about it. First thing he says, well, if you hadn't, I wouldn't have, I'm like, where did you go? And then he tried to guilt me. I'm depressed. Then he tried to say, I love you. Then I'm going to kill myself. His, his work, like the guy that works in optometry again, I don't know if I can name him, but he, he was like, get him out of that house. Call the police now get your kids to safety I will come down there get him out and I was like if I do that he's gonna run I said I'm gonna call my neighbors right now my babysitter's here she's keeping the girls upstairs we're gonna make him go to the psych ward and so Sam gets there and he's like he thinks he's there to talk and I'm like you have one choice now you're either gonna go to the psych ward and get help for the stuff that you need or you're going or we're or we're gonna call the cops and he's like, are you really going to do that? And so he's dragging his feet there. I cried. I was crying. I was like, my daughter's about to lose insurance. I I didn't even know that was financial abuse. And, you know, we get there. The hospital staff is trying to make me stay with him. They said it's my responsibility to stay with him. I'm like, I'm not staying. And so this is where, where things escalate. This is where I find out about the pill attempt, where, where, where we actually see the pills in my drink, where it had been crushed up before we've actually pulled pills out. Like my, my neighbor pulled whole pills out of my powdered milk and we documented everything. And this is where his where the psych ward was like, he's coming back and you're just going to have to work your issues out. He says, it's you. And then when I confront them about the pictures, oh, we've talked to your husband about those pictures. He says, you, you have enemies. So we, we advise you to be aware of your enemies. And I said, okay, hold up. So he's saying, because we had packed a bunch of his stuff. This is how we found the pictures. We're like, he's saying that we have I have enemies that snuck into his private bank without me noticing pulled out these pictures crossed out my eyes wrote rip across it and then gone so they confronted him again it's like oh it must be her I'm like so if it was me why didn't he just say that in the first place and when I confronted him about it you know you're the reason for my anger you're the reason for my pain and then when he found out I finally filed the RO he was he tried to call me they prevented him from being served for almost a week the military prevented him from being served from almost a week he was on military property they came to my home several times they were denied access to the base 3 to 4 times and they said well we can't have him served in the psych ward that is bull crap i have known other people who went in that had their spouses served in the psych ward they gave they allowed him to call me on christmas to try and punt me for information as to why I filed this restraining order and what the allegations were. I would not do it. And he hung up on me. Then he tried to call back and try and make me feel guilty and tell, you know, tell him like, oh, it's, you know, it's Christmas. I want to talk to the girls. My kids did not want to talk to him. And then I said, I never thought it would get to the point where you wanted me dead. And his exact was, I never thought I would get to that point either. And you know, you know i he we're waiting trial for two weeks in that two weeks come to find he switched his direct deposit i have money missing from my account i've got hardly anything left for the kids you know because i had to go pay for this lawyer i had to take care of a whole bunch of stuff just to make sure that the kids were set because i don't know what's going on with him i could still see his google search history because obviously we live together like he he got the phone he has the phone that he took from our account. Like like I told him you either pay for the Verizon phone and then you can have the line or, you know, you can't take the account. You have to get a new phone. I'm not, I don't have the money to pay for that with the kids. You know, it's Christmas. I can't pay that. And so he decided to steal the phone that I still had under warranty and take it and switch the lines on it to, to take it to sprint. And you know, that's, that became a whole other issue on its own. And his command was like, you know, can't talk. So we get to the point where I had to spend money on a lawyer, I had to spend all these fees. I've got barely, I've got all these bills I didn't know about. I thought I was paying his bills. Apparently, he was in more debt than I knew. And I'm like, we're, you know, we're running out of food. And so I was like, Oh, his paycheck's still coming in. I'll, I'll take just enough. I took $400. I said, that'll be enough for me to pay PGE, buy them some food. And you know, he'll have enough for hotels if he needs it until he gets settled. He transferred all his money out of his account into his personal private account. And he, what else did he do? He like apparently was telling people that I had made him broke because he, my friend sent him a letter to confront him about it. And when he gave, when he, my friend gave him that letter, he like, he was like, you know, my friend sent him a letter and said, you have five kids why don't you give her money so she could feed said five kids, you know, she stepped down from a job, everything like that. He was like, well, she starved me and she left me without gas. I'm like, he had $30 in his private account, because I gave it to him. He had been spending his money like crazy. And I gave it to him. So when we get to trial, and he's not fighting this, I tell his LPL is like, you know, at this point, I've seen his dating sites, I've seen the charges for the dating sites, I still had access to his bank account. That day, he changed it because he realized I could still see it. You know, I wasn't touching anything. I could see it. And I said, look, he's been cheating on me. And, you know, we don't have a lot of food. I'm, I'm not eating so the kids can eat. You know, I had I had our church rescue us at the time. I had, I dug myself back from nothing is what happened. And his LPO said, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. Same LPO that, you know, we get out, we try to talk, work things out civilly. Oh, things are going better. We think things are going better. He seems like a nice guy. Sam breaks into my house, okay? Steals a bunch of stuff. My daughter's Adderall. Everything goes missing. They cover up that too. They let him go on vacation for two solid months. And they let him go on vacation for two solid months knowing there's a CPS case out on him. CPS can't even get to him because he's on private government property. My kids have told me, And in front of ABA therapists, that daddy punched them in the arm. Okay. So he gets to go on vacation. They put medical restrictions on me. They're like, oh, there's an MPO. You can't come onto base anymore. I said, so what am I supposed to do with my five children who have special needs? All their care is here. And I'm their custodian parent. They're like, oh, he can't take them? I'm like, no. That's why there's an RO. He cannot take them. And I said, I'm just trying to get them care. And they said, okay, as long as you only come to base for that then that's fine but you have to have security act. you have to have security escort you it takes it took security 30 minutes every time they had to escort me it got to the point where that guy became like my best friend because he saw me all the time you know and so I would escort onto base assuming this it's for your safety it's to protect you why don't you just remove the sorry of my language why don't you just remove the fucking sailor from where I'm going to be at, you know, they're like, well, if he attacks you, we're held liable. So why is he glued to me even on the days that Sam wasn't even working? Why is he stuck on my hip? And then, you know, I let them know what my kids had said right away. I let that know back in December that my daughter said, daddy hit her. And they're like, well, you know, we've met your husband. We're not going to call CPS on it. If your ABA therapist wants to call, that's fine. So they, They didn't do anything about it. I have an ABA therapist come up to me privately and said, your daughter's saying she's been hit by her father. And she said it multiple times. I tried to figure out where and she's saying it was deliberate because he was angry at her. And so we let them know and they made me think it was like corporal punishment. So flash forward to, you know, again, I can't get on base access. I call CPS on him. I said, I've had enough. My daughter's talking about a tickle game. She's saying her dad's tickling her in bed. She's saying all this stuff. I call CPS. They don't do anything for weeks. You know, they're like, well, we have to call. They, we have to call the father. We have to do this. I ended up making a video online and the video kind of went viral. And that's how I ended up talking to members of Congress in which I was pissed. I was angry. I was begging for help. He had literally broken into the home. I was. I had tears pouring down my face going, I can't protect my children, and no one's helping me. They won't do a thing about what he's doing to us. And I had this woman say, I have a member of Congress that you can speak to. I've got this person you can speak to. CPS came out, not because I filed against him, but because he filed, and his family, and my family filed against me. And the reason why I know they did that, because they can't release who filed, is because basically what happened they had details only my sister and my mother knew. And so I confronted them both. I was like, which one of you called on me? And the lady came out the day before my daughter's birthday and was like, I have to check on the kids or I'm going to have you arrested. And I'm like, who's on trial here? Is it me or him? They're like, well, he's a good sailor. And when and when talking about the punch, my daughter said she was, well, she says her sisters punch her too. And I'm like, yeah, because they're little girls. Of course, her sisters punch her. But did you ask about her dad? She goes, well, he said he only punched her one time don't you see how you're re- overreacting don't you see how you're the vindictive ex-wife don't you see that he's a great sailor and he's doing awesome and you're just trying to make him lose his job take the video down the reason she wanted me to take the video down is because there was evidence attached to it i provided the pictures i provided the bullets we found i provided everything because well they think you're losing your mind we would like your psychiatric records and i said hell no why would you need it i'm not on trial here i'm not i'm not signing that off to you you're trying to pull something and my babysitter who's a mandated reporter she's not, we're good we're good friends you know we become good friends as she's worked for us she's a worker there's no way in hell she would risk her job for me you know she's here to tell the truth she goes that was so wrong what she did so i ignore it i go to disneyland come to find out my my sister's like If CPS calls me, I'm going to tell them you're a bad fucking mom. And I'm going to tell them to give them back to their father. That's what they were trying to pull. They were trying to get them taken from me to put back into their father's arms. And that's why I was like, screw it. I'm done. And, you know, I almost didn't get to take them to Disneyland. I'm going to be really honest with you because I didn't know I could leave. We went on a whim because I was like, if he gets to go to freaking his hometown for an entire month, why don't I get to go two hours down the street? You know, so my daughter could celebrate her birthday. Like, and they were like, well, I would consult your lawyer about that. I'm like, no, I'm not going to. If he gets to do that, then I'm doing it. And so I left. And, you know, I said, I don't think this guy's coming back. I flat out said he's not going to come back because there's a CPS investigation on him. And so his grandma got sick and I felt bad for him because I knew his grandma. I loved his grandma. His grandma was the most amazing person I ever met. I was like, well, I'm trying to take emergency leave. Okay, so he takes emergency leave. So I'm thinking you're just there to bury her, basically. No, he's gone for another month, basically, another couple weeks. Command says nothing. He says that he was helping his grandparents, his grandfather recover. His mother and his father were there for that purpose. And with this whole COVID situation, he shouldn't have been there. But his command just keeps being so lax with him. It's like whatever, you know. And so get getting us to the point where we're ready to go to trial about this whole situation, you know lawyers everything they're kind of putting all this pressure on me and they're like do you want to go the civilian route or do you want to go to the navy route because the navy only wants to charge him for the rape they only want to charge him for the rape. they don't want to charge him for the abuse we're not looking into the child abuse allegations at all none of that we only want to charge him for the rape and the system is broken because she emphasized the point that there was a rape case in which there was penetration and the sailor only got six months the system is broken when my friend said The friend that brought me to this RO said her husband at the time nearly beat her to death, put her into a coma. He is still active duty military. You know, I have freaking neighbors that live near me that have beat the crap out of their wives. Nothing. I have a friend and her daughter who was left homeless for two whole years and her spouse still gets all the benefits and gets to move his girlfriend in and gets to do all this stuff in. So if you're looking at it, San Diego, whereas Great Lakes was great, San Diego's system is flawed. And that's why I went the civilian route. I said, you know what, look, the best chance I'm going to get at protecting me and my kids is going the civilian route. They still treat, his command still treats me like I'm the problem, that I drove him crazy, that I'm a stalker. So they, he doesn't have to legally provide me with his address so I could ask him for child support or anything like that because they're worried I'll stalk him. They would not contact him, they would not contact him so I could confront him about stealing my daughter's medication, meaning I needed him in order to get it refilled. It took two weeks for them to refill my daughter's medication. She was going crazy in those two weeks. And then he started replying to messages. I said, You said we can't talk in this MPO. Fine, I'm not talking. I come to find out EMFP is expiring, my ID is expiring. So I confront his command. I was like, Okay, I need I need you to have him do this. They said we're not getting involved. If you want any of those things done, you're going to have to contact him directly if you talking parents yourself. I said, but you guys said, we don't have to talk through that. And they said, oh no, there's exceptions to that. So again, another exception to accommodate the United States sailor, but not the family. We have to, we're living in housing, but we have to worry every single day whether or not we're going to get kicked out one day because he doesn't live here anymore. He gives me $600 a month for five children because we're legally married still, but he says that his command is allowing him to minus BAH. DFAS has told him he can't do that. So for five children, I get $600 a month from their father. You know, and he can, if he feels like it, he can harass me if he feels like it. You know, the problems when he stops is when I make it public. So that is the long version. Of why this system is flawed in San Diego, specifically,
0: it is a hundred percent flawed, and it is unfortunate the amount of people that have to go through what you're going through, and you know the the other ones that you listed for anybody to pay attention. What are you doing now to bring attention to? this? Yeah, I know you mentioned Congress, and obviously you're coming on podcasts and speaking the truth about what has happened to you, but what what are you doing to bring light to this situation?
1: It really ha- boiled down to, I had a domestic violence <coughs> awareness roundtable discussion on my own podcast. I was on those media group podcasts to discuss domestic violence as well. I'm here now, obviously, I'm emailing mutation I'm emailing at least three to four mutations a day. I'm actually I've put four or five letters to Washington D C to which two of those letters were replied to. Again, the system is stopped because they, they throw it down and barrel it back to it's at the command of discretion whether or not they're going to fix anything with the and so you know I'm just making noise if that makes any sense. I'm being as loud as possible. I'm trying to do it in the most respectful way. So that way, way I don't get another call from CPS and my children don't have to worry about that. I'm doing it for my daughter because she was told not to speak. She was told to act like she was dumb in public. And now she's afraid to. So the best way I can correct that is by speaking up. I've speaking up with the San Diego PD, I have a detective on our case. I've gotten counseling for myself so I know that I'm being gaslighted and that I'm doing the right thing. I've gotten counseling for my children so that they know that this was not their fault at all. I've still tried to reason with him, but he is 100% unreasonable. And with what I've discovered now, I've reported not only him, I've reported his little friend, as you want to put it, to her command as well. Because if she's had, honestly, people cheat all the time. If she's had any involvement, and it sounds like she has within the whole situation, because there was was that comment in the forward flash comment my daughters have made that she needs to be held accountable. If she's done nothing, then no problem. But any situation where domestic violence is planned or cohorted with all the parties involved, need to kind of be taken accountable for it and I want to make sure that happens so I'm going to do some more news interviews I'm going to hopefully keep speaking about it on my own podcast and I'm going to write letters I've been working on a book I'm calling it soldier in the dark and I'm trying to keep it as unbiased as possible and just really account what happened and stay accountable for the things that I did that could have been better as well too because I want a very unbiased look at how this can affect people and how people can avoid these type of relationship mistakes.
0: I love it. I think that is amazing that you're taking something that could so easily break so many people but continuing to push through and hope in the hopes that, you know, you can stop at least one relationship from happening or or save, you know, one victim from being put into that type of situation. I think that is amazing. Before we started recording, you talked about your company that you started. Would you do want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So GFI Apparel actually wasn't started by me. It was started by Melinda Nyseth and Leah Bauer, which is another veteran-run family who own they own Navy Paddles. They're amazing. They are sweetest, the sweetest people in the world. They have been nothing but ultra supportive in any decision I make. I was working for Vert Force at the time, and they... You know i did marketing for them and they really took to me well and i said hey i want to launch a sock line on your platform i wanted to sell off basically what happened and they were like well have you ever thought of taking it over because we're giving up the company so within a day's decision i ended up taking the company over from them i was like i'm hiring my team i'm doing my thing and so we opened up the DFI platform to not just work out clothes to mugs apparel and clothing a full line with that gofert spirit we opened the podcast we've got a launch pad coming out we've got a nutritional recipe guide coming out and the biggest thing that i started was that any victim of domestic violence you don't even have to say what happened you don't even have to have a lot of experience i will give you a work opportunity in which you can earn at least a small amount of income to help you get out of your situation we will any one of the girls that i work with is trained to provide you with domestic violence information You literally have to email us just, Hey, I need help. And we will send you all the pamphlets we can and all the information that we can bring. And if you're asking for a job, you automatically have an in as a brand ambassador or any customer service jobs that might be open during the time.
0: That is amazing. I think that it is so important because, you know, like you said, with not even realizing that you were put into financial abuse in the beginning of your relationship and then, throughout the relationship, it, it's so important to give women the opportunity to build up their own kind of secret stash funds to to escape. So I think that is really amazing what you're doing. Wrapping up, we have a few questions that we ask anybody, but I also want to ask you, is there anything that we have not talked about or that I you know may have missed uh, in asking a question that you want to tell our audience or reiterate?
1: I wanna reiterate the point that you're not going crazy if you're a victim of domestic abuse. A lot of the times these are generational things. The reason why I finally left is because I didn't want my kids to become the next victim of domestic abuse. My mother went through domestic abuse. I went through domestic abuse, you know, his, you know, his family went through domestic abuse. He was abused as a child. And people react differently. I obviously became very codependent. He also, he obviously became an abuser because of the situation he was in. The difference between me and him now is this, he still clings onto, well, they're my family, they, they love me, you know, I'm supposed to love them. And that's part of the reason why he can't heal himself. I had to step aside and say, no, wrong is wrong. And even though they're my family, the things that are happening are not okay and they either need to get help and work with me or they cannot be in my life because that's toxic. Whether it's your brother, your sister, your mother, if they really loved you, they would work on problems with you. This isn't about who you're, you're to blame or she's the blame. This is about there's a mutual problem and we need to fix it together. And that's the part that people miss. They think, Oh, well, if I just did this, no, if somebody cares about you, they're going to fix the problem with you. For example, I had a huge misunderstanding with my friend, we came in, we discussed it, the problem is gone with a narcissist or a cluster B personality or something that a personality of somebody who has domestic violence issues, they would have come in and be like, you are the blame. So I would first recommend getting help and separating yourself from the situation, at least temporarily until you can find some clarity in it.
0: That's amazing. That is really good advice. So like I said, wrapping up though, we've got a few questions that we ask everybody. The first question is, what are your goals for the next year? It doesn't have to be just 2020 since we're almost in the middle of 2020. So um, <laughs> just the next um, 12 months, what are, you, what are your goals?
1: I want to finish college so I can apply for medical school. I want to get my daughter speaking fully again so she understands, basically get her over her anxiety. I actually want to finish out this divorce and get into a healthy relationship. I think after being 10 years in a relationship where it was nothing but abuse, I'm ready for somebody to love me and my kids. But until that time happens, we're building ourselves back up. Basically, they're going to have a powerhouse to deal with, like whoever's going to marry me next is going to have a powerhouse of confident children and a confident woman that you're not coming in to rescue us, you're coming in to keep up with us, basically, is what I'm looking at. So eventually, I would really like to get married again. And this is the weird part, people like you have five kids, I actually want more kids. I never wanted five, I wanted two. And after having this conversation with this woman for a company we work with, she's like, honey, it's such a joy to have more. And I'm like, uh, you know, I kind of do want that. <laughs> like I want more kids They're Now that I've had the kids just me for the past six months, we're just we're so happy. We're a well oiled machine. We, we love each other. We tell each other that every day. And I just want to give people hope. I want it. I want it to get to the point where my company is so big that people are calling me and saying, help me get out. That's what I want. I want people to get out And I'm hoping that I can impact with this conversation with Congress that I'm having later on today, that I can impact changes that the court system, and I'm sorry for getting emotional, but I want the court system to change because for the longest time, I thought I was going to die for the longest, the last few months, I have been waiting around basically for him to kill me because he, because the court system is so dragged out. that's a fear we've had to live with no no mother should ever have to teach her child how to barricade herself into a room in case dad comes and that was the biggest fear i had was i don't even know what's going on so six months is way too long to wait a year is way too long to wait to prosecute so if any officials are are listening to what we need to fix especially in this covid virus right now we need to get people out of these situations have a virtual judgment hearing, get more mental health awareness, get these people who are obviously sick in the head help that they need, whatever it takes, so we can save more lives. I have lost more friends and more family to domestic violence than I ever want to count. And that's why I thought I don't want to be the next person. And I want and I deserve to have a happy life after this.
0: I love it. And you are 100% correct. You Deserve everything in life that you want, and you know, deserve to be happy and deserve to have somebody that compliments you and what you're doing. So, I, I definitely support that and 100% agree with it. The next question is What would the new you say to the old you? Okay, well, since
1: I've already cussed, get the fuck out. <laughs> That's really all I would say. What are you doing? Run now, take your babies you're going to be happy and you're going to start smiling again. It's not even going to take that long. People told me it would be years before I smiled again. The first time we smiled was like, maybe two months after he left, we took a photo shoot on the beach. And I was like, we got to wear the clothes we want. My kids are happy. This is amazing. So that's pretty much long story short, what I would say. I love it. I love it. That's
0: awesome. What is something that you would tell our listeners that would help them get through a tough situation? So meditation or things like that, what is something that helped you kind of de-stress in the moment and and come back to being able to be present?
1: Well, I'm a really good friend. I'm a great friend. I don't do a lot of self-care. So what I said to myself is, what would I tell a friend in this same situation? And how can that apply to me? So be the best friend that you can be to yourself is what I would advise. Because the only way you're going to get through this is to love yourself first. Because when we have self-doubt and fear and anxiety, that's when it becomes a huge problem. And that's when we begin to falter and did I do the right thing? Am I ever going to get through this? And that's when depression happens. So be your best friend first. And then you can take a yoga class. You can go surf, whatever you like, you know.
0: I love it. I wish we had surfing here. You <laughs> <It's, it's, laughs> do not have the waves for that, but no, but I love that. And then what is a book, ebook, podcast, quote, or anything that you would suggest to our listeners or that you
1: live by? Anything from Derek Jackson or ace metaphor so you can look them up on youtube there are these two gentlemen one's a reformed player and one's just a very well spoken man and they talk about relationships what they've done in the past and what guys mean they really break it down for you really easily and you know there's a book that Derek jackson has which is called don't forget to wear your crown and the emphasis of the book is you are an important person Put your crown back on and dust your feelings off. So I I listen to their stuff even till today because sometimes you slip back and you forget who you are. So pick yourself up and wear your crown. I love it. That is
0: really good advice. And then last but not least, how can people get in contact with you if they'd like to learn more about you or perhaps you know your your clothing line? Being able to be a part of that as well. A
1: hundred percent. When you listed. Pro- I can speak now. When you list this podcast, you can leave them my contact information. I'm always willing to speak to people. You can contact me at Stephanie at GFI apparel.com. And by all means, follow me on Instagram and Facebook. My nickname is Annie. So my Instagram is Annie Loves to Dance. And it's true, I love to dance. So add me to Instagram. I answer all my messages as much as I can. And for Facebook, it's just Stephanie Narita. I'm the only one it's kind of a unique name so you can add me I love new friends and I love having open discussion
0: awesome well Stephanie thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story of survival and not only that but sharing your story of thriving as well I think it's so important for other women to hear that they are not alone and that they can you know make it through and like you said learn to smile again so thank you so much thank you If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O-thriving-A-T-L, or online at
1: 2thriving.org.